So, so here's the thing that you have to remember. Economic nexus is not just for online sales, and it's not just for sellers of tangible personal property. It is for all companies. Even a company like Dina's and mine, we have to monitor because I have clients all over the country. I think you have clients all over the country. So we have to monitor, do we exceed the economic thresholds? So you're saying that I have an accounting practice. I'm in the cloud. I'm serving clients everywhere. I have to start counting too? Yes. Oh. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. I'm David Leary. I'm Dina Oberst. And I'm Diane Yetter. Thanks for joining us. We are at Account Tax USA in Boston, here to talk sales tax. So do you want to introduce yourself, basically uh, what firm you're with and some background, and then we'll jump into uh, sales tax, sales tax, sales tax. We want to learn. So how about you go first, Dina? Okay, great. Well, I'm Dina Oberst. I'm the CEO of Gable Tax Group. We're a sales tax outsourcing provider. So what we do is we do multi-state sales and use tax returns for businesses, and we mostly support CPAs. So we're usually um, working direct with accounting firms and bookkeepers to be their in-house sales tax department. Got it. So I have a client that does e-commerce in like 20 states. I do not have the expertise to do those returns. So you guys will take care of those for me? Exactly. I mean, usually CPAs may do their sales tax return for the one state that Mm -hmm. they're in. But once you go to the multi-state, most CPAs say, I hate sales tax returns. And I'm like, well, we love them. So I've been doing this for 28 years. Gotcha. It's like outsourcing your payroll. It's like outsourcing your payroll. Exactly. We handle all the payment processing, journal entries, everything. Just like as if you had it in-house, but outsourced. And Diane? Uh, I'm Diane Yetter. I am the president of Yetter Tax and the founder of the Sales Tax Institute. I am the sales tax nerd, and we provide sales tax education and resources through our Sales Tax Institute division, including online classes. In fact, uh, later this month, we're launching our next round of Sales Tax Jumpstart, uh, which is a nine-week online live class. So uh, accountants that need to know more about sales tax, that's a perfect uh, venue for them to learn about that. Um, And then we have tons of free resources on our website all about this economic nexus that I know we're going to talk about, uh, white papers and things like that. And then through Yetter Tax, we are an advisory firm. We don't do compliance like Dina does. We help people understand where they have to collect tax, what's taxable that they buy and sell. um, And we can negotiate settlement agreements, help with audit defense. And then we also are technology partners with the largest uh, providers of sales tax technology. So we partner with them and help our clients find the best solution for them, uh, not just a one, we're not just a one person or one firm uh, partner. Gotcha. And then I, I randomly, not randomly, I, I, I consciously go and I pick people that I want to bring on to interview on the podcast, but you apparently you two knew each other from the past already. We did. Your career. We did. We um, we both, well, I don't know if she started at Arthur Anderson, but and I didn't start at Arthur Anderson. I started at Arthur Anderson as an experienced hire doing sales tax because back in those days in the SALT group, there weren't a whole lot of sales tax people. Maybe did state income tax, but not SALT. So, yeah, Diane and I go way back. We actually used to um, train and uh, on software together for a software provider back in the 90s. I'm going to make a big ask of you, Diane, which sure. is, um, you know, David and I had a brief episode interview post-Wayfair, like the week after that mm-hmm. decision came out, right? And uh, since then, we haven't talked about sales tax. Oh, gosh. And you guys have missed out a lot. <laughs> I know. So I'm wondering if you can... Uh, and I know you just did like a three-hour class, and we don't have three hours, but if you could kind of give us, for, for the uninitiated, right, what is the the landscape of sales tax in the United States post-Wayfair? 
or even just talk about what the Wayfair decision was. I think people have heard about it, but yeah. you know, even in those days when we brought in somebody to talk about that, we had 200 downloads at the time. Yeah. So we have lots of new ears and new listeners, and maybe they haven't heard of it yet. Um, so briefly, what the Wayfair decision did is how I describe it is it turned the sales tax world upside down and inside out. So prior to June 21st, 2018, companies were required to collect tax where they had physical presence. And that physical presence could be through their own people, through independent contractors, through paying commission payments or referral payments, um, through uh, states had enacted what we called click-through nexus. A lot of people refer to it as the Amazon tax because it was the Amazon model that they would pay people that referred people to buy things off of Amazon. They would pay them a commission. And so that's what the states went after. That started in 2008 in New York. And, but you had to have physical presence. So things like having inventory in a warehouse, which has caught a lot of Amazon FBA sellers uh, with physical presence. So that was the rule uh, over two major court cases going back to 1967 that you had to have substantial physical presence. So, so for example, I'm selling something out of my house in California and I'm shipping outside of California in the past. As long as I, my operations were all in California and my inventory was there, I didn't have to deal with collecting sales tax from Wisconsin or something Correct. Like that. You'd collect for California, but that was the only that state you had to worry about. Okay. And what happened in the Wayfair decision is uh, South Dakota passed a law in 2017 that said, we don't think physical presence is a requirement, and rather it should be economic. And so South Dakota passed a law that said, if you make more than $100,000 of sales or 200 transactions into the state of South Dakota... Which are very different things. Very right? different. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that, that that constitutes substantial presence. And so they said, we don't think physical needs to be part of that. And the way the South Dakota law was written, it was able to be fast-tracked. So we saw the fastest uh, movement from a law being passed to a U.S. Supreme Court decision. The other kind of little nerdiness of it is the case is South Dakota v. Wayfair. Most tax cases are taxpayer v. state because it is the result of an audit. The South Dakota law required a uh, proactive registration as of May 1 of 17, and anybody that did not register that South Dakota believed had that met that threshold, South Dakota sued. So that's why the case is the reverse, and it was they initiated. Sued they sued Wayfair for not is- filing uh, that uh uh, proactive uh, registration that was required. Gotcha. So the Supreme Court, fast forward, I was at the oral arguments, didn't get to see the whole thing. I oh, got it's still in, super cool. I got in line at 4.30 in the morning, and I was seven people too late to get in for the whole thing. So I saw the first two minutes, <laughs> um, and then just hanging out and doing all that. So it was quite fun to be there. It so was you, ta- you tailgated the decision. I did. I tailgated. <laughs> um, uh, hint, if you want to go, you can actually pay homeless people to go and get in line. So next time, I will go find a homeless person and pay them 100 bucks <laughs> to go, go get in line at midnight. Um, but what the Supreme Court came out, uh, June 21st, it was actually in the middle of our Basics of Sales Tax class, which was kind of exciting. And what they said is the uh, Commerce Clause, which is what it's based on, actually does not have the word physical in it. It requires substantial presence. So what is that? Yeah, that's the question, right? And, And so what the court said is we believe that South Dakota's law 
meets the Commerce Clause requirements. And so that has now kind of become the standard of $100,000 or 200 transactions. There's some other nuances like no retroactivity and and not an undue burden on Mm -hmm. taxpayers. And so there's been a lot of discussion about what is an undue burden. And then also as you compare state sizes from South Dakota to a state, say, California, New York, Texas, is 100,000 or 200 really equivalent in those states? Right. So so Wisconsin just just picked that as the threshold. That's uh, what most of the states picked was the 100,000 okay. or 200 coming out of the gate. Correct. Okay. And the Supreme Court, but they didn't weigh in on whether that was appropriate or... What they said was for South Dakota, it was appropriate. Oh, South Dakota. Okay. So right. for South Dakota, it was appropriate, but they didn't actually say it's appropriate for every other state. They just said Cor- it's correct. possible. It's possible now to do this. Correct. Okay. And, and so what most of the states have viewed, except for Kansas, um, is that that is kind of a the, the threshold. You shouldn't go below that threshold. Okay. But that threshold can be very low if you're selling $10 widgets. Correct. 200 of those, it's not that many, not that much volume, not, not much in terms of dollars. Correct. So, right, like that's creating a, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, if I have, if I'm selling a low dollar value item, maybe I just stop selling to those states. You know, because I'm not making enough money to pay for the compliance. And I guess, we, Dina, we can talk about this, like how much it actually costs now to comply. Right. Because isn't the, the, big, the, you know, the big picture implication of all this is now I'm, I'm a small seller in California and I'm selling to people in every state. What do I do? You right. know, it's overwhelming, right? It is overwhelming. And a lot of um, businesses that are selling in multiple states, whether it's just e-commerce, you know, sometimes that's just one of the the revenue streams. It's not their only revenue stream is to use, you know, one of the big marketplace um, platforms. But the number of transactions, like Diane said, that has come out, a lot of people are like, how do I comply with that? And what happens if I don't? Now, if you went back prior to the, you know, the the last, I would say the last 12 months, um, you know, the states had the list of inventory. They knew exactly where Amazon's customers were. And so those customers were actually, those businesses were getting letters. So they knew who they are. So it's not like you can just hide. So again, you sell whatever, 200 coffee right. mugs. So, um, so people who were using Fulfilled by Amazon, I understand that's where Amazon takes your inventory and distributes it around all of their warehouses. Mm-hmm. There's like 26 states? Or? Uh, it's growing. Yeah. Uh, uh, Missouri, Idaho, and Oklahoma have warehouses that just opened or are due to open, and those are three brand new states that had not had okay. warehouses before. So basically, if you used FBA and you want to be compliant, you kind of have to, you were already filing in pretty much well, all those well, states. Well, you should have been filing. That's okay. kind of the confusion, and that's where people like Diana come in and say, well, the the economic nexus, the, the revenue threshold, is the newest thing since the Wayfair. But the physical presence is not dead. So if you were selling on Amazon and had goods and in inventory, you still have to register. It has nothing to do with the number of threshold, you know, the, the number of transactions. And that's where a lot of businesses are confused. They call me all the time, but Dina, maybe I have 200. I'm like, yeah, but you had physical presence there. You need to register. Um, there's a lot of other nuances I won't even get into. We don't have time. We'll talk about the marketplace facilitator law, which adds even you know another layer of confusion to businesses. But I would say on the compliance side, for sure, um, the volume of returns for any business is, has grown substantially. And I would say probably by 2020, most of those companies should be filing in every state. And you touched on or you mentioned the, uh, the you know, risk of noncompliance. 
Like, what are those risks if I just ignore? I'm in California. You know, what's, what's South Dakota well, going to do to me? Well, you know? t- this is what I tell, and then definitely let yeah. Diane pine on it. But I always tell um, businesses all the time, do you want to lose 10% of your top of your gross revenue in taxes that belong to your consumer? And they're like, well, no. I'm like, well, you are now taking the responsibility for it. Why not just find a solution to implement a process, you know, whether it's technology and outsource, and collect it from the consumer? It's a consumer's tax. These businesses shouldn't be absorbing that as a liability, and it's really risky. And if they're not going to do it, I always say, you know, you better crew something on your books because 2020s, you know, we're going to be a second year into this, and it'll be really interesting to see um, how the states enact. So, so you want to basically build the proper system and have the proper system procedures. So you, all you're doing is you're just collecting the tax and passing it on, and you're you, so you're really not. You, you want to eliminate the burden. It's not your tax as a small business owner. It's just you just have to create a process to move that money through and remit you do it that, properly. You just can forget about it. Correct. But that's not that's easier said than done, yeah. right? It, well, it is. That's true. But that's why there's, that's, there's that's why there's cloud accounting. Right? Yes, that's why there's platforms out there that can help. And there's a, a whole host of them, as, as yeah. Diane mentioned. They do a lot of implementation. So there's definitely a lot of options out there for businesses, large and small. I think I've, I've seen some of the e-commerce conversations where people are uh, they're worried about the big companies like Amazon, like turning over data to the agencies or being forced to collect it on their behalf. Like it gets very, very messy because then if, if you're shipping some stuff on your own, some stuff through Amazon, like Amazon can't file your return for you. Like, yeah, well, it's very some complex. of it, okay. some of it can, right? So I know um, Diane's going to have a whole topic on it this afternoon about the marketplace facilitator and how you know Amazon and some of those other platforms are now going to be required to collect and remit tax on behalf of the sellers. But uh, being on the business side, I don't have one client that just sells on Amazon. Yeah, how does that even work? They sell on their own website and yeah. they have other platforms. And so, you know, if if it says hundred thousand dollars in gross sales that's gross sales that's not taxable sales so we go back to that discussion right diana is like is that really gross sales meaning the marketplace sales and including the ones that you have from your own website i tell my clients yes if you met the threshold on gross sales completely whether or not amazon's reporting on your behalf and you have the remainder you need to register again you want to lose 10 percent of your your revenue i don't think so Well, and the states are starting to come out. Um, So on our website, salestaxinstitute.com, we've got a couple of great remote seller charts and economic nexus charts. And so we are tracking whether or not the state has enacted marketplace facilitation laws. And, And what that is, is it is the state's attempt to reduce the burden on the very small sellers. So sellers that exclusively sell on marketplaces, Amazon, Etsy, eBay, Walmart, Google, all of those platforms, that the states are saying, individual seller, you don't have to be the one to register and collect. The marketplace will do that. And they file a a single return for all their sellers. It, It lessens the confusion of the consumer. If you go on Amazon and you buy the same thing, you could have three different situations. You could be buying direct from Amazon, in which case they're collecting tax in every state. You could be buying from a third-party seller that does FBA, and so they're registered in a number of states, or should be. Or you buy from somebody that self-fulfills that maybe is only registered in their home state. So you can buy the same thing from three different vendors and get three different tax results. 
confusing for the consumer, yes. right? Right. So what the states are saying is if you're selling through Amazon or any of the other marketplaces, the marketplace will take that responsibility. So if you're a seller, you go on to the marketplace, you can't even turn those marketplace states on or off. And today we're up to 37 states that have passed that. The market, so Amazon is going to collect. And when does that start? Is that already happening? It, or? It's already happened. Of the 37, there's 14 that are not yet effective. We've okay. got a bunch coming on 10-1, and we've got a couple January 1. A bunch just came on July 1. So that is going to reduce the burden. But where the complexity comes in is just what Dina was talking about, is if you're multi-channel, which many sellers are, so you sell through Amazon, eBay, Etsy, Walmart, and your own website, when you're figuring out if you've exceeded that threshold, what do you include? And some of the states say you have to include everything, like Washington. But there's some other states that say, uh, for example, our, uh, Arizona says if the marketplace is collecting, you exclude those even though they otherwise say your gross sales. So now as long as you can confirm, which all the big players have lists on their website that show here's where we're collecting as of what date, um, you get to exclude those sales. So now if you're below the threshold in Arizona, they go into effect 10-1. They're, do- they're the only ones that's doing a phase in for 2019. It's $200,000 in sales, no transaction count. Exclude your marketplace. If you're below that, you don't have to register. In January, it drops to 150,000. In 2021, it'll drop to 100,000. So it's an ongoing exercise to continue to monitor your transactions, especially as we've seen a number of states. We've had uh, seven states change their thresholds. We had six of them originally enacted with a transaction count and then realized they caught a whole lot of tiny sellers. So they've eliminated the transaction count and now just have a dollar threshold. Oh, that's good because that transaction count seemed ridiculous to me. Right. And so we're seeing that. And, you know, big states like California, Texas, and New York are all at 500,000. Texas and California are dollars only. New York has an and test. So it's 500,000 in sales and 100 transactions. So they're saying, you know, if you make one $500,000 transaction, you don't have to register you still have to have 100 transactions in New York. But most states are an or test. So, so if I'm selling an Amazon, so Amazon's going to now remit and pay my sales tax for me for Correct. some portion of my business. Is there official, like, I'm thinking, in, and I know this is not the right analogy, but like a 1099, it's kind of standard, mm-hmm. right? Like you're going to get a 1099 and it's very clear of what you need to do with that on your own personal income taxes or your business income taxes, right? Is there kind of that equivalent where when Amazon pays this on these different states, you're getting a real form or is it just going to be like, here's the report, Amazon, I'm doing air quotes here, Amazon created this special sales tax report and that's kind of what you get. And now you got to backwards figure that in. I mean, maybe this is a question for well, you, Dina. Well, yeah. in, in, the mar- in the Amazon Marketplace platform, when you run the reports to do your tax returns, it'll actually list which transactions were reported by Amazon. We're so, talking about each state or each Right. Texas. So, I mean, they still want another revenue. A business still would want another revenue. They still need another products. Um, and so from the tax perspective, in that column, it'll say Amazon reported the, t- the tax on behalf of the seller. And then there's the other states that still have tax turned on. Because like Diane said, this is kind of a rolling thing, this marketplace facilitator law. It's not all states now. Some are in October, some are January 1st, 2020. Um, and it's not all states, but probably by next year this time, it'll, it'll be all the states. I can't imagine not. But um, So it's actually listed on the, the report the sellers can see. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Right Networks. In a perfect world, everyone would have 100% of their clients on a cloud-based accounting system using cloud-based apps. 
but the world isn't perfect and clients have a wide range of needs. And for some, this means using desktop-based software. That's where Right Networks comes in. Right Networks is your 100% accounting-focused desktop in the cloud that also includes an ecosystem of over 250 connected apps. As you and your clients take the journey to the cloud, Right Networks will be at your side, innovating the best ways to leverage the true cloud future by investing heavily in cloud apps like Transaction Pro and Autofy. They've created an always-on environment that supports 24-7 data transfer. Right Networks also offers no scheduled downtime for maintenance or application updates and meets the industry's highest security standards. To join the more than 50,000 firms that use Right Networks daily with their clients, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash rncloud. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash rncloud. And be sure to visit the Right Networks booth in San Jose at QuickBooks Connect 2019. So if I'm even if I'm exclusively selling on Amazon and some of these other all these other marketplaces that are now going to collect and remit on my behalf, I still have to register in the states where I have exceeded the threshold? Maybe. I was going to say maybe. If it's a gross receipt state, maybe. The, uh, the states are starting... Um, so if I can just answer your question uh, quickly, some of the states in their marketplace legislation require, like a 1099 form, there's a certificate. Think of it as almost even a reverse exemption certificate that the marketplaces will need to uh, provide to the sellers. So that is one of the things that the states are putting in there. There's a lot of crazy liability issues that are being worked through. Um, there's a uh, task force that the Multi-State Tax Commission has put together on marketplace facilitation. I'm on that task force. We had our first call last week. So we're working on trying to figure out how to come to a happy medium between the states and the sellers and the facilitators in terms of shifting that liability and responsibility and who will have to issue certificates or not. So all of that is kind of uh, evolving. And, and what the states are seeing is now to your question about, you know, do I have to file if I'm strictly on a, on a marketplace and they're collecting? This, some of the states say yes. Um, a state like Washington, that you have to file the business and occupation tax, which is their gross receipts tax on the same form, they definitely want you there. Some of the states want you to include the sales and then there'll be a deduction line. Some of the states, New Jersey has come out and said, if you're strictly a marketplace and it's collecting, if you're already registered, we're going to put you on inactive status. And then if you start uh, making sales that you need to collect, just call us and we'll make you active again. Some of them are saying cancel your registration and then re-register. We have the same question if you drop below the threshold. What happens? So the states are figuring it out, but they're ending up with a lot of zero returns or very low dollar returns that are very expensive for them to process. So the states are yeah. still so figuring it out. It's expensive for the businesses to file. Both sides, right? It's expensive yeah. for both sides. To it is. It's zero. a burden for both sides. Exactly. Which I would say is why it's the greatest change, I would say, in the sales tax since I've been doing it. This has been the greatest change where it happens probably every week, every month. There's some, some change. It's really hard to advise clients. Um, like we were talking about earlier, you get clients to register because they met the threshold, and then they come up with a marketplace facilitator. Now what? They're already registered, you know. So what do you do? Do you, uh, you know, some states say you can cancel your registration. Some say you can't. Yeah, and do you have to file separately? Like, you have to file like a, like I sold everything on Amazon. They're going to report remit. Do I file my own 
sales tax return too? In, in some of the states, because the states want to see the revenue, and right. then you take your deduction. Oh, you take a deduction. You take a Got deduction. It. So you file a zero return, but it's a way for the states now to get data right. that when they go to audit the marketplace, they know these are the sales that should have been reported because they're getting it that way. So it's a lot of data analytics that the states are trying to use the information for. But not every state does it that way. But not they're every state different. does okay. it that way. Exactly. So is, there, is there an end to this? Like, like Every month, every quarter, somebody's discovering something, oh, this is kind of broken in this new system, and they're adjusting, changing the laws. Like, is this going to, like, three years from, uh, down the road, like, okay, things are, is this going to stabilize here? I, I think it will. We're, we're definitely getting, we're getting close. We have all but two states that have enacted economics, so Missouri and Florida. Florida has all already pre-filed legislation for next year. Uh, Kansas uh, came out with an administrative. They tried to pass it twice. It got vetoed by the governor because it was bundled in with some other uh, issues that she didn't want to sign. Uh, so Kansas came out administratively and said, under our existing law, which a number of other states did, um, we're going to impose it, except we do not believe we can authorize thresholds because that would be granting an exemption, which requires legislation. So Kansas has a zero threshold starting October 1. Uh, people have appealed to the Attorney General. The Attorney General of Kansas has said that they will um, come out with an opinion before October 1 when it's effective. So we'll see on Kansas. But otherwise, Missouri and Florida are the only ones. Um, the marketplace, as I said, we've got 37 that have passed it. The only two that are possible yet this year are Michigan and North Carolina that have it proposed, but they're still in legislative session. So most of the legislative sessions have ended. And so we're waiting till next year to see what's going to happen. Um, but we do have cleanup. We have administrative rules. Illinois passed some goofy rules that go into effect next July, uh, switching the sourcing uh, rules. Uh, how they wrote it, it's unconstitutional under the Illinois Constitution. Um, so we expect, we're hoping there'll be some cleanup legislation in the veto session this fall, if not early next year. If there'll be, we already, there's coalitions of people getting ready to file a lawsuit against Illinois. So right now, yes, there's a lot of turmoil. It's hard to stay on top of it, um, but I, I think it'll slow down after next year, and then I think the next stage will be as audits start happening. So three to five years out, we'll probably now see some of the administrative things get worked out a little bit more. So, Dina, your business must just be booming at Gable. It with, is booming. <laughs> so, and I, to me, this this resembles payroll. Like David said earlier, like a lot of firms used to do payroll for their clients, Pretty much everybody that I talk to has gotten out of it and outsources that now, either to a payroll provider. So, do you see that? That where is that where sales tax is headed? You know? um, well, absolutely, because yeah. I mean, small companies—it's the small businesses, the e-commerce businesses that are impacted the most. The ones that are well established are already filing sales tax returns everywhere, yeah. based on physical presence, and they just don't even have a tax department, let alone sometimes right. an accounting department. Yeah. You know, you're usually working with the CEO or the founder um, and some salespeople. Um, so they're never going to have that in-house. So, yeah, it's it's definitely been um, a good solution yeah. for the e-commerce businesses to have an independent. Because, quite frankly, people like me usually sit in the big four accounting firms and it's kind of untouchable for mm -hmm. a startup company to have a sales tax compliance team. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's we've so, definitely been popular this last year. So I know you, uh, you're working with CPA firms. So I'm a CPA. I have clients that have Nexus, all this stuff, and I don't. I want to pass it off to you guys. You guys will take care of that. But do you also work direct with 
a lot of businesses? Oh, like, absolutely. What's the, yeah, what's absolutely. The... Yeah, we work direct with um, businesses all the time. Yeah. But really, since the, the Wayfair decision last summer, we've just kind of like been focused on working with the CPAs because that's where all the businesses go. They go to their bookkeeper and their CPA saying, help, what's going on with Wayfair? Or I got a letter. How do I comply? And most CPA firms, again, don't don't specialize in sales tax. So where do they go? Are they going to go to their competitor and refer their client to a competitor? No, they're not. And so Gable Tax Group is going to be the sales tax guru for them to go to to keep the competitors out from poaching their clients. So I can pretend I have a sales tax department. I'm like, oh, great. I have a sales tax team. That's right. We can handle this. Well, it's just like I handle payroll for my client, right? Right. Uh, and to them... I'm doing it, but really, you know, it's, uh, it's a payroll provider that I'm, I'm working with, right? So, exactly. That's right. Um, so here's a question. What, what do you think the odds are that the federal government ever gets its act together and Congress, like, unifies the states? And, and you know, is it, why can't we have a system where we just file... With That's one. called the Avalara short. It was short on Avalara <laughs> when that, and then, then push for that decision. <laughs> yeah, so I get asked this question all the time. Yeah. Um, and there are, I think it's three current federal bills pending. Uh, Dina, uh, object if you disagree. Nope. Uh, don't hold your breath. Yeah. That's, that's it, what it's I not going to happen. At this point, so w- a couple of things to keep in mind. If the federal government is going to eliminate a revenue source for the states, the federal government must reimburse the states for the lost revenue. All, all but two states, well, we've got three that come on 10-1, but basically all but two states already have a revenue stream. So to repeal something that is already in place is not going to happen. Um, the only other time that I've really seen that happen is the Internet Tax Freedom Act. And when that came out, there was legislation that said states cannot tax Internet access if they didn't have it um, in place at that time. Uh, there were eight states that were grandfathered in uh, when the f- bill went uh, permanent uh, under President Obama. Uh, it Uh, gave them until 2020 to eliminate it. So we've got a couple of states that that's their legislation to eliminate it. That's really the last time we've seen the federal government go in and kind of take a wholesale change to that. But keep in mind, that bill was passed when the internet was in its infancy. And when you paid AOL to have online access. You know, today it's kind of, it's your phone bill. It's a general commodity. So I almost feel like the Internet uh, Tax Freedom Act and no tax on Internet access is almost not needed today, but that's in place. So, no, I do not think. And the other reason that I don't is the states all kind of came together and setting that threshold, setting the 100,000 or 200 transactions and not going retroactive. Nobody has made it effective earlier than June 21st of, of um, 2018, and other than a couple of Knock weird, on wood. Well, there's a couple of there's weird couple. things called cookie nexus, but uh, we won't get into Is that, that today. the internet browsers, like uh, a, an internet cookie? Could, it's a digital cookie. Yeah. So, you know, you guys drop cookies on all of your listeners' uh, computers so that you can track them and they come back. Oh, no, this no, is actually should. a big problem. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is a problem with podcasting, is it wasn't designed to track 
well. So you like you other don't. than people downloading, you have no idea uh, that people are listening. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, I, I drop cookies, you yeah. know. So every I'm, web, every website, every website, and much, so yeah. that was considered physical presence because in the states that that did that, which okay. were Massachusetts and Ohio, that was a physical presence. So, so what is happening is the states all said. We don't want the feds to get involved. We gave the feds. There has been federal legislation pending since I remember the first one in 1988, and it goes back even before that. So the the federal government has done nothing to that. And what the states are saying is we are doing this in a measured, appropriate way. There's arguments is what is appropriate, but we're being somewhat consistent. We're being reasonable. We're not going retroactive. Feds, stay out of it. You know, uh, now what Kansas has done, that's, you know, uh, kind of tipping the apple cart a little bit. Hawaii attempted to go back to January 1 and within days got slapped down by all of their fellow states, changed it and said, we'll make it July 1. So the states are kind of self-policing on that. And, and, you know, the bills are getting passed. The only really goofy thing is New Hampshire with no sales tax. Uh, you know, they've passed a law that now any state that wants to require a New Hampshire business to collect their tax must apply to the New Hampshire uh, Department of Justice to be certified that they are not putting an undue burden on a New Hampshire business. So the state's having to register with another state. Right. But how does that even crazy. work? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> we haven't seen it, seen how that's going to work. Yeah. Can, um, they, can they do that to each other? Yeah, well, that's, 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 that's a, a constitutional right. question, right? Right. right. That is oh the my question. Gosh. Some more court cases coming, yes. I imagine. Um, so how are we doing on time? Because I have one more big question I'd love I, to I'm dis- good. Yeah, okay. I'm good. So tax on services, right? This is, so we've been talking about, I think we haven't said explicitly, but you know, mostly about goods, right? Um, and, I th- and that matters to our clients of CPA firms, but CPA firms and CPA firm owners are probably very interested to know like what's going to happen. Well, especially with- our cloud accounting podcast listeners, because yeah. a lot of them have a cloud accounting-based practices, and they're having clients now in multiple states. Yeah, we had clients uh, when I was in practice in like 26 states, uh, and not to mention different countries. So, like, what do we what do we have to look forward to in terms of the states passing? Um, well, like, I said, how many states collect? tax on like CPA services or accounting services or bookkeeping services? So, so one, it's South Dakota. One, okay. Yeah. But, Great. But South he, Dakota is the leader here. Yeah. So, <laughs> so here's the thing that you have to remember yeah. is when economic nexus is not just for online sales and it's not just for sellers of tangible personal property. It is for all companies. Okay. Most of the states use a gross uh, sales threshold. There's a few that use taxable sales and a few that use retail, which means if you're a wholesaler, you exclude your sales for resale. So even a company like Dina's and mine, we have to monitor because I have clients all over the country. I think you have clients all over the country. So we have to monitor, do we exceed the economic thresholds? Now, in most states... Wait, so let me hold you there just for a second. So you're saying that like I have an accounting practice. I'm in the cloud. I'm serving clients everywhere. I have to start counting too? Yes. Oh, I, don't, I feel like a lot of accountants and bookkeepers don't know this. Don't, don't realize it. Yeah. Here's why. Most accountants don't just do accounting services. In my workshop yesterday, I had a mix of people that say, I'm a reseller of QuickBooks Online, Zero, 
name your platform because a lot of them do that so that they get you know an additional revenue source. So they're a reseller of cloud applications. There's a number of states that tax cloud software and cloud oh, applications. Wow. So, so now, if it's a gross sales state, you have to include your professional services revenue to see if you're above the threshold, and then you have to tax those. In my business, wow. I've stayed out of selling on-demand webinars because those are considered digital audio-visual, and that's taxable in a bunch of states. Wow. So I did not know this. this so is, that's about 12 what, or so this states. This is why we aren't going to charge goods. for the cloud accounting podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's too much work. So, so this... so. So let me get this straight. This could change depending on how I structure my engagements, right? So Exactly. Let's say I uh, purchase the software. Let's say it's a QuickBooks mm-hmm. online. And then um, I just bundle that with my services, but I'm not explicitly charging the client for that subscription. I own the subscription. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, I'm just providing... That's different than if I... Resell. resell. So I, I get the subscription, uh, Intuit charges me, and then I resell to the client and it's as if it's their subscription. Correct. That's t- two different situations. Yeah, but it be is. very careful about bundling. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because if you bundle things that are not taxable with things that are taxable, right. the whole thing could be taxable. Okay. So just be very careful. So I want to own... I don't want to be reselling software. If, if Really, if that's not my main business, I want to be... Tur- turn owning. it into a commission. Get right. a referral fee, something. Let the software company wow. do it. Because the trick also becomes, if you buy it and then you provide it as part of your monthly recurring fee, yeah. Intuit has to charge you the tax on that. And they have to know where your client is. Because if you're giving your client access to that QuickBooks uh, license or subscription... Yeah then they need to know, so they're going to charge you the tax based on where your customer is. I don't think they do that. So I was gonna say, but that's what they should that's be what they doing. they should be doing. So, but here's the thing. If they don't, because they've considered it to be you, and you're right. in California, and California doesn't tax SAS, but you're having a client in Washington use it, you now potentially owe Washington use tax on that because you're using yeah, it yeah. in Washington. And so it, it adds a lot and of complexity. Washington use tax is no joke. I it understand. is not. There's some not. hefty fines if you don't comply. A 39% penalty Washington imposes if they catch you. Wow. So this could be a session you guys should do at one of the future conferences just of how to be sales tax compliant in your own firm. Firm. firm and, and what's yep. the best strategy for bundling, doing webinars, mm-hmm. um, uh, well, if you're doing bar work, any of that. Yeah. And, and so you mentioned only South Dakota collects a, collects a tax on services. Uh, on professional, professional services, services, accounting professional services. services. But Lots of other states tax um, uh, computer-related services. So if you're doing installation of software, you're doing uh, training on software, uh, digital goods, DC and Iowa just started taxing those products, those those types of digital services effective January 1. I think that's where we're going to see more movement because states went from taxing physically delivered software then when it was electronically downloaded, it was like, oh, it's exactly the same thing. So I go into the store and I buy QuickBooks on a disc, taxable everywhere. I go to QuickBooks Online and I download it. I install it on my computer. Not taxable everywhere, but moving. California, it's not taxable. Now I'm accessing QuickBooks Online, taxable in fewer states. So you've got the exact same product sold in different mediums, taxed differently. And and we're seeing states kind of 
move along that continuum to start charging or start imposing tax on more of those types of things, more services. Uh, the economy has shifted. You know, we used to be 70% manufacturing. Now we're 30% manufacturing and 70% service. The state revenues are plummeting, and so they're trying to figure out how do we do this. Economic nexus is one way, but broadening their tax base is the other. They can't raise the rates higher than they are. Do you think that professional services, that it's inevitable they'll get taxed someday? I, I feel like... I mean, NASBA, AICPA have been doing a good job of clamping down on that and stopping the legislation before it ever gets to a vote most of the time, along with other professional groups. But like, to me, as we move more to a services-based economy, a digital economy, it seems kind of inevitable that the states won't try to grab that money, right? Well, I know, because California, right? I'm in California. It comes up all the time. Yeah, they every year, know. it they seems like know. there's an effort. But yeah. I mean, really, let's just see the impact of the wafer. This is just my my opinion on it. But you know, as the states are trying to even deal with new you know new businesses registering and all the tax that they're going to get from the, the product sales, I just think service is just going to be a little bit further out there right now. Not to say that it's not going to happen. I mean, people aren't going to comply. States need revenue; they're going to tax it. But professional services is definitely it's not off the table. But I'm just I I can't see in the next twelve months at that. Okay. That's just me, but you know, right, right. Diane so, definitely so our has listeners have twelve months. <laughs> well, well, I'm just it, saying it, the wafer. It'll be the, it'll be wafer. The, the the decision will be two years old by then. But but I think what's important for your listeners to keep in mind is I was in the keynote this morning, you know, and Dan, uh, Gary, and Jeannie talk about how the accounting firm of today needs to diversify and start doing more than straight compliance business. And so as you move into doing different things like providing education, providing different sorts of things, those are not necessarily accounting services. Um, if you are in the technology space and you are doing, uh, you know, Analytics. You're building RPA. You're doing uh, different sorts of uh, artificial intelligence. consulting, implementation work. Yeah, that's taxable in, in a good number of states. Really? So yeah. as you start expanding your practice to start doing different things, you have to be aware that it's considered a different thing under state law, and you need to know what you're doing. I mean, if you're an accountant and you're not doing your taxes right kind of can impact your reputation. Yeah, and you, know? you can't exactly claim, oh, <laughs> ignorance. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so that's, you know, Dina works with a lot of uh, CPAs and bookkeepers. We do too, not on the compliance side, but on the advisory side, and help them help their clients understand what they need to do. And then we refer to people like Dina when they're like, okay, now we need help doing the returns. What should we do? Because we just don't do that. And like, and like Diane mentioned, you know, if you're an accountant or a trusted advisor and you're not doing your own taxes correctly, right? Um, but the one thing that I will say that comes up a lot is, and I'm not an income tax person, but what happens on the income tax? Now that these businesses are registered for sales tax everywhere, have they just increased their, their income tax footprint? So just something that CPAs topic. for you guys to, to make sure that you cover. <laughs> so, so I'd love if there's a major decision to like try to get you guys back on again to educate us, but we're kind of running out of time today. So anybody that's listening and wants to get a hold of you, Dina, what's the best way? Um, you can just info at gable.tax. And what's your website? It's 
GableTax. GableTax.com. Mm-hmm. All right. Great. Or yeah. SalesTaxGurus.com. Sales if that's gurus. easier to remember. Gotcha. And Diane? Uh, so the best way to find all of our great resources, SalesTaxInstitute.com. And we have a special landing page for AccountTax, uh, my presentation. So if you're not here and you want to see what I talked about, uh, you can go to SalesTaxInstitute.com slash AccountTax2019. And we've got kind of a lot of our resources pulled together there. We'll have my uh, PowerPoints from my presentations. And once this is up, we'll put that out there well, too. We'll get it in the show notes. Yes, definitely. All right. Well, thank you both so much for joining us. It was a real pleasure. And I, I learned a lot today. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for Thanks having us. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.